Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hatch Assad, and I'm here with Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. And I just want to say we're sorry for being late on this week's podcast. We're about a day late because Sammy's private jet got caught in a holding pattern over the Pebble Beach Concorde d'Elegance. Isn't that right, Sammy? That is partially correct. I have just arrived from the whole Monterey Car Week experience and Pebble Beach. And don't worry, uh, you're the first people I get to tell all it all about. So where, where are we going to start, Ben? I, people... I, I want to hear about the really cool stuff you did because you were gone a long time, four or five yeah. days, I think. Yeah, I was gone for about four, five days. It felt like a long time. It felt so long. I felt so alone, like honestly, yeah. just putting that out there. And you kept you kept sending me messages, and I was like, sorry, man, you don't have a Ferrari. I can't help you out right now. And, and then he was like, I can't see your pictures because I don't turn data on when I'm in the United States. And I'm like, that's, that's not true. That's really hurting our relationship. <laughs> that was true, actually. Um, I couldn't see your photos because the data was so was so spotty at best. Everywhere I went, there was a million other people in like live streaming and doing Instagram stories and Snapchatting their entire experience because the entire experience of Pebble Beach and Monterey Car Week is surreal. The amount of fancy cars that you didn't think exist or it could exist in, in one place are everywhere. Man, my the parking lot of my hotel had three Pagani Wyras, of a, a Bugatti Chiron, a buttload of Ferraris, and like two 918s, as well as a, a, a Pagani Zonda as well. And I was like, I've never seen this collection of cars all with plates in one place. And, was... and, and at one point, Sammy actually messaged me to complain about a guy <laughs> in, a, in like a, a Mustang Shelby that was con- couldn't find a parking spot. It was just <laughs> driving up and down in first gear so yeah. loud. It was like rattling the windows. It was not only not just the GT350. It was that other one, the GT350R, like the 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 more race version yeah, those, of that. Those car. carbon fiber rims are a little loud. <laughs> it was so insane, Ben. I've never. It feels like you're in a video game. Everywhere you go, there are nonstop gorgeous cars, um, and then eventually you see a Corolla, and you're like, oh, that's what a regular car looks like. Um, so the the first thing we did is we saw the reveal of the brand new Acura NSX. I was hosted by Acura, so I got to 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 see that first. Um, all you need to know is it got a new paint finish and a new interior leather, blue leather inside. Blue, wait, and, is it like a dark blue leather or like a like a Estoro blue leather or how how does it look? It is not. It's more. Of, it's not dark blue and it's not like baby blue. So it's somewhere in between. It's just blue, Ben. Is that what is just blue? This is. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to buy paint from Sammy? You're like at the hardware store and you're like, I'm looking for like a like a light powder blue or maybe a cornflower blue. We just have blue. Here it is. Leave this store. I'm glad okay. you're an auto journalist, Sammy, because your career in the arts of painting would be short and lamentable. Okay, so it's like, uh, you know, the Facebook icon? It's like that blue. Okay, wow. All right. I, that's better than what you had before. Well, so did you get to drive the new NSX or did you just get to look at it? I did get to drive a NSX, but not the brand new one because uh, I think the brand new one hasn't been made yet. It, it should be finished for October. So hey. anyone who puts in an order in now will be able to get the new version in October. I guess they got to the- really ramp up those blue leather machines. It's just You can't <laughs> just snap your fingers and make blue leather happen. Yeah, they also made the stabilizer bars um, thicker. They redid some of the, uh, the the tuning of the software that manages the vehicle, particularly with the all-wheel drive, the all-wheel drive system, because it's an electric, mo- it's two electric motors at the front 
that um, that give the car all-wheel drive. And uh, they've decided to give it a little bit more play, playfulness, they say, um, at the limit. So you should be able to well, – theoretically, they think that – I don't know. It makes it sound like they, they're saying that you can initiate over, oversteer or drift the car with more ease, so, um, which is something that apparently the, the regular one was – it was just so – it was just so direct, it never, and it felt like it took over all the time and didn't want you to do anything like that. Now, when you drove it, I mean, how did you feel about it? So I didn't get to drive it on the track. I really wish I did, but so I could experience some of these elements uh, in motion, especially when you've got a car that makes 500-plus horsepower um, and can do 0 to 60 in, like, three seconds. These are fast vehicles, and to put them in, in a canyon setting, a very tight canyon setting where you can't see every turner ahead, of, like, you look through it, a corner ahead like you could on a track, it uh, isn't the most confidence-inspiring. So I would have preferred to try some of these elements on the on the tr- on the track where I could. But I will admit the NSX does a bunch of things very well, and it does a couple of things I don't want to say poorly, just unexpectedly for this class of vehicle. So and of course I'm talking about supercars, and I've driven a couple of them, and many each supercar has very particular elements aspects. You want a supercar because it it evokes emotion not just from from you and from the people around you but when you drive it you want to feel something and i feel the nsx does a couple of things but i don't know for real true driving enthusiasts they're gonna hate a couple of aspects of this car you're, you're really hedging here why don't you just come out and say what you do like and what you don't like no one from acura okay. is gonna uh, terminate the podcast <laughs> in, that, in mid in mid sentence i don't think any. i mean true. maybe they have that power maybe. but they, they've yet to exercise it I love, first of all, I love the exterior styling. I think it's a very uh, sci-fi looking car, a very futuristic car looking car without the need for, and it's and it's a high performance car. You can tell immediately without obnoxious wings and and like spoilers. It's all built really neatly into the package of the, of the car. And I think it looks really sharp. And the new model has gotten rid of the chrome beak. It now has a, a body colored um, panel there. So it looks a little bit more um, normal. The interior needs some help, like needs a lot of help, actually. Well, that's um, where the blue leather comes in, right? I, I don't I think it needs more than just blue leather. For starters, the materials don't feel all too special. Um, they feel a little bit um, on par with the rest of the Acura lineup. And I don't want to I don't want to knock Acura too, too hard. No, that's what in we did last podcast, right? Yes, with the RDX. I so forgot about that. how many screens does it have compared to the RDX? What's the screen count in, in the NSX? I don't remember. I've driven it a few times, but I, I seem to remember it only having one. But I could be yes. wrong. And, a, and one in front of the, the driver for okay, the yeah. digital cockpit. Yeah, all right. So at least the, the infotainment system is, is easier to use than the RDX, but it is straight plucked out of like a Civic or an Accord. So it just doesn't look... Like high end, you know what I mean? There's no like fancy graphics there. Um, it it is a little slow. Um, there's no space for anything in the car. I was practically straddling my mic pack when I was doing my video. Um, it was just uncomfortable in that way. And if you have, there's like a there's like cup holders. You know how like the MX-5 has these like snap-in cup holders? Yeah. It has like this, but it's two cup holders in one piece. So if you if you want one cup holder, well, too bad you get two, and they take up the entire like passenger area. And if you so, want one motor, too bad you get three. Yes. So on the other hand, the best part of this car, in my opinion, is the powertrain. I think it's really good. And 
it um, on paper it doesn't sound like it's all too impressive. It makes just north of 570 horsepower and 476 pound feet of torque. That's done through a twin turbo V6 that powers only the rear wheels, and then two electric motors um, up front that handle each wheel independently. And there's an additional electric motor that works with the nine-speed dual-clutch transmission. I'm telling you, this is one of the best packages I've ever felt. Never was there a harsh shift um, or a missed shift. It, it was always providing power when I needed it. It was always in the right gear. I thought it was excellent at doing that. And it rockets the speed very quickly. Now, did However, you ever feel like you were actually driving, or did it just seem like you were behind the wheel of the world's most expensive PlayStation? Okay, so that's, that is something that needs to be addressed. 100% this car um, does a lot of stuff for you. Um, I could not get over the steering feel, which is extremely digital. It's completely numb. Um, and it's really weird because the way the front motors, the front electric motors work is they can actually provide negative torque to help turn the car. And as a result, the car is very darty, especially in the sport plus mode. And you don't feel that in the steering wheel. So you end up like, it's a very twitchy vehicle and you don't feel any of that through the wheel. And that provides, um, a serious disconnect between what your actions are and what the car is doing. On the other hand, I can imagine this making you feel like a superstar on the track, just how easy it is and accessible it is to drive this vehicle. It never felt like it was going to spin out on me or or losing traction. I was pretty impressed with that element of it. But at the same time, you feel disconnected from the driving experience. Yeah, so when you say superstar on the track, I think that this the NSX to me enters in... I've driven it um, on a very rainy road in, um, I believe it was Washington State, and then about six months later, I had the chance to drive it with uh, Brad Iger, frequent guest of the show, and journalist oh, right. in Los Angeles to the canyons to Angeles Crest, and really kind of gave it the beans there. And I came away completely cold. This is a car that, for me, did absolutely nothing. Um, mm-hmm. I respected the fact that it's very fast, as you said, and it handles quite well. But I have <laughs> zero desire to own one. I have zero. De- I, I didn't turn around and look at it while I was walking away from it. Um, it didn't sound great. There was yeah. no, There's no connection between me and the car. And uh, it, when you say, oh, you feel like a hero on the track, I think this car is the example of the type of vehicle for people who are exclusively shopping for lap times or maybe exclusively shopping for bragging rights and not yeah. necessarily for a fun experience. Like, I don't yeah. think... I don't think you would be smiling after you turned in the fastest lap in this car. And I don't even think that you'd want to go out and try to get another tenth of a second off of your lap. It's just, if a supercar could be boring, I think the experience of the NSX is boring, despite Mm -hmm. it being so competently engineered. I agree with you in a couple of elements. You're right. The car does not sound good. It sounds so different than what I think a supercar. And the problem with this car, the biggest problem with this car is it's, uh, marketplace, it's market placement and it's competition. Oh yeah, so it's one hundred and fifty-seven thousand dollars. Yeah, for the for this car, an Acura yeah. R, an, an, excuse me, an Audi R8 is a hundred and thirty-eight thousand dollars, and it is a V10, a V10 that, that sounds makes, insane, makes almost the same power and yeah. sounds incredible, and you have the similar supercar look. Mm-hmm. But and, and I'm gonna, I mean, Sammy, you just talked about how difficult it was to live with this car in terms of internal space. The R8 is nothing like that. 
The R8 yeah, is very practical. I've driven a nice big frunk. Yep. I've taken the Spider model, which has even less room inside, on an extended <laughs> yeah. road trip, and I was able to bring everything I needed with me. I never felt like I was being squeezed, and it was super comfortable after six, seven hours on the road. And um, I just don't understand. And one final thing, you mentioned this has a V10 in, in the R8. I don't understand the need for three electric motors and a gas motor to do the same thing that the R8 does, but poor, more poorly. Like you're, you're executing the same mission statement with less emotion and less intensity and less allure just overall. So why was this car built? I know for a I fact... Think, yeah, go ahead. Just, just, just to finish my thought, I know for a fact that the NSX had a V10 engine in it. Mm-hmm. And at the, I believe we talked about this on the podcast in the past, but that model had reached pre-production status they'd built the car with a v10 and the orders came down from honda corporate no this has to be a hybrid and they went back to zero and they started with this new drivetrain so imagine what the nsx could have been i i mean i think i already know what i think the nsx could have been and i don't think the i don't think the gas engine is a problem here yes it doesn't sound great that gas engine alone makes 500 horsepower which is pretty impressive and you're right. They had to. There was some sort of some sort of order where they had to make a hybrid, because they wanted to showcase the future possibilities for the Acura brand. And of course, the N, the MDX has a hybrid. The RLX has a hybrid. Um, I can see the the TLX gaining a hybrid variant and probably an upcoming ILX if that car hasn't been killed off yet. Um, and I think. It just showcases what Acura can do with a performance hybrid system. There's nothing wrong with the performance of this car. That's what I'm trying to get at. It's the it's the feeling of the vehicle. And you can get this sterile feeling in a car that's cheaper that's also just as fast. We've mentioned the GTR, but even that has some really interesting... Oh, the GTR is nowhere near as sterile as an NSX. And that's funny because usually people complain about the GTR by by its lack of giving you control and feeling on the on the course but on the other hand when i drive a gtr every single movement i make in the, in the car i can hear through the chassis which is wild when you can hear the gearbox go gunk or because or, it's so old <laughs> yeah please just let me rest <laughs> yeah and you feel it through the car too right the the nsx is is much more filtered in that it's totally filtered. Um, I think filtered is a great word to use. I think that's exactly it. it, it this is a this is. I mean, I've used this word before. Curated. It's a curated experience of how accurate thinks a performance vehicle should be. Yeah. And, so I'm, I have one really good way to put it, and, and I'm sorry for cutting you off. No, that's but, fine because your way is clearly better than my way. Listen to this. It is the BMW i8, but with the i8 not caring about the the fuel economy aspect. It I is, like. I think the i8 is way more fun to drive than the NSX. But that's because it's it's lightweight and um and it has a silly three cylinder turbo. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it actually I, I enjoy have... driving it. This 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 NSX. I have it's like I drove it and it's fine and I have no need to ever do it again. But I would gladly get back behind the wheel of an i8, what? even though it's is not nearly as quick. Is that because it's lighter? I think it's just because it's a more compelling package. They created a vehicle I want to drive, whereas NSX is is a vehicle that was created by engineers to prove a point. And and the, okay. the other okay. the, that's the a other great way to engineers think, to to make a point. I think that's really good. The and I think the the problem with that point is it's lost on Acura's audience because no one associates Acura with performance anymore. We haven't had an NSX in North America for like what, twenty five years, yeah. close to that, twenty years. 
Um, it's 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 a car. The 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 Integra left them left the, the lineup. The NSX left the lineup, and no one really bought the RSX. And when that car left the lineup, it pretty much severed all ties with Acura's performance history. And then they come out with this vehicle out of nowhere. And I understand they make it an Acura for pricing reasons, but really it should probably be a Honda. Uh, okay. Uh, I think that would change the price point of the vehicle. And That's what I'm saying. For pricing yeah. purposes, it's an Acura. But I mean, I'm sure, they're not, if, I'm sure if, they make zero. I'm sure there's no profit on any, any NSX. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't um, think they if, make any money on these cars. If it was sold as a, as a Honda, would you be more okay with the interior design? No, no. I, I have zero interest in the car, regardless of what badge is on it. I think it's I think it's a vehicle that it's just a part of the market that doesn't speak to me at all. I know okay. it has its audience, as yeah. I mentioned before, the type of people who are looking for this car, but that I'm not in that audience. So another thing that I wanted to bring up is um, the NSX GT3, which is a, uh, a race car. Um, and the GT3 is built in the same way that you build a, a normal NSX, and they just take out the electric motors. They can do that just like that. That's the way the NSX was built, for those electric motors to be removed. And then they they made this NSX GT3 with entire, like entirely out of carbon fiber, or at least with a lot of carbon fiber, a big-ass wing. And they went and they raced it, and they killed with this GT3. But it's so weird to see this one car that doesn't have any hybrid technology winning and then the car that you do get is heavier and and like a little bit more sterile it makes sense because i mean as as i was saying earlier the car was never designed from the ground up to have the hybrid stuff so it does mm-hmm. make sense that it's modular and they can just drop it in and out because they they kind of have to <laughs> yeah they had to, yeah. <laughs> no choice so but, i mean so I think but they I, need to, uh, going forward i think they need to a they need to get they need to address some of the emotional aspects of this vehicle they need to at least make it sound better uh, like at the very least, they need to make it sound better, and they have to add some form of of feel in the steering wheel. That to me will will help give this car a nice boost in the enthusiast world. Um, and the new model will be coming with uh, new new Continental tires. I think they're called uh, Conti. Oh, you're gonna have to give me a second here to find the spec I have on it, because all Continental tires have very similar names. Uh, Conti Sport Track Conti Contact Instant Contact. I just want to back up what I was saying about the Conti, NSX. Continental Sport Contact Six. There the you NSX was actually sold until 2005. Um, I always forget about the second generation car with the different headlights and whatnot. The, the oh, facelift right. car. It was it was pretty similar, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they they never really sold a lot of NSXs. The peak year was like 91. I think they did that around 2000 sales, and then and then things cut in half the next year, and then half again, and then it. It continued like that, and they only sold 200 or so in the last year of it. But uh, right now, um, in 2017, they sold 581, and this year so far they've sold just under 100. So it's not a big volume. No, I don't think we're going to see any significant changes to the car because I don't think it means anything to the brand. I, I think they're trying really hard to make it mean something to the brand, but it's it's kind of like an outlier in the showroom. But uh, Sammy, you drove something else that's much more emotional that's kind of in a similar similar realm, right? When you were in Pebble Beach? I mean, I drove another supercar that is far more engaging and exciting in every possible way. Um I drove the Lamborghini Huracan Performante Spider, which is a very weird way to to look at the the Performante lineup. So as some some of you might know, Lamborghini's entry level supercar is called the Huracan. They have a V10 all-wheel drive version of the car, and then they decided to make that even faster by making a Performante model. And they to prove that it was fast, they took it to the Nürburgring and they 
they nuked it, man. They got a six minute and I think 52 second lap time around the track, which is extremely impressive for, especially for a Lamborghini. These are cars that typically had a design first, um, sort of statement, mission statement. And now they've got some serious, um, performance credentials behind it. Now, here's the thing that I, this is the approach I had when I, I looked at my story. The Huracan gets a little bit of, um, it gets, it gets hated on quite a bit because some people call it just the inexpensive Audi R8. It has a pretty much the same platform. It has the same engine, pretty much the same technology um, in terms of the drivetrain and uh, all-wheel drive system. And it just looks a little bit fancier. It has like sharper edges um, instead of curves. And some people think that if you want a, a performance supercar, just get with, get with the program and get an Audi R8. And the Performante is just an extra, I don't know, $1,000 for, I mean, the, the Huracan is just an extra $1,000 for no reason. Well, I think Lamborghini heard that, and they've made a special version of the car. This Performante model is insane. Ben, I've never been in a car that actually felt like it was stuck on the road in the way that this thing was. A car with 640 horsepower has um, this really impressive form of active aerodynamics that made the car unflappable i was so impressed you know you say that the um r8 and the huracan are essentially the same car i I, i've talked to some people who actually sell audis and they say that the customer for the r8 versus the huracan are like 100 percent different people (laughs) yeah like the huracan is like an all-cash buyer who (laughs) who comes in and is like probably pretty young yeah. And the R8 buyer is, is is the polar opposite of that. It's just an interesting uh, divide in these two cars that are ostensibly similar, yet their images are, are not at all lined up with each other. <laughs> so the the price for the Performante Spider is $308,000. Um, and for that, you get a very unique aerodynamic system. So you've probably seen photos of the of the Performante Spider, and in case you haven't, it's got a ginormous rear wing, and it's got a very low front splitter. Now, most of the time when we think about active aerodynamics, we think of, uh, of a wing that can move. It can actually like physically lift up or, or turns in some way or another. And that's not the case with the Performante models. Instead, they have little flaps underneath the wing, little holes essentially, that can um, open and close and help direct the, the flow of air um, more on one side of the wing than the other. So as a result, you're able to direct um, airflow to the left or the right of the vehicle so that when you turn, take it into a corner, it can direct airflow off, over onto the other side of the vehicle and keep it suctioned to the ground. It's pretty what a, impressive. What about like an aerodynamic system that like heats up the wing and it like splices? <laughs> no, listen to me. It slices the air the air at the molecular level. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that way you're actually cutting through the air instead of just moving through the air. How about that? Do you think that I think- that's I think that's possible. I think it will probably add some weight to or, get something and probably a lot of uh, – a pretty significant price point. Or a, a, an so aerodynamic like an, system that yeah. freezes freezes the air and then so that it's cooler as it goes around the car and it's yeah. passively no, no. cooling. Den- denser, colder air is denser, so – no, we don't want to you're go not, that. You're That's not listening. It, it, it passively cools the car, so you get rid of the grill, and that way you're more aerodynamic. <laughs> Why do I have to get rid of the grill? Because you don't need the grill anymore, man, because you've got the cool uh, active aero system. 
Um, I will admit that this car was so much fun to drive. It it not only sounded great, and I could hear more of the car because of it being a, a, a drop top. Um, it was extremely fast. It's a top speed of 202 miles per hour, um, which is technically slower than the coupe. In fact, the coupe is the whole other part of this car that I think is really worth bringing up. If you're going to get a, a Huracan Performante, which is a performance version of the Huracan, you shouldn't get the Spider because the Spider adds a little bit of weight because it's got this power hardtop, um, and as a result, there's a lot of compromises um, when you when you make a, a, a drop top version of the of the vehicle. What what if you had an active aero system oh that God. created a wing out of plasma, like a plasma <laughs> wing from up. one side to the other? And sure, the plasma generators are a little heavy, but you yeah. save because there's no actual wing. It's just this plasma <laughs> wing that turns on when you need it, and it vaporizes anything it comes into contact with, like insects or whatever, so it stays clean all the time. And dust. And, and, and dust or fingers. <laughs> this, this probably... <laughs> Wait, are we driving the car and fingers are just like showing up and trying to touch the car? I don't know how you drive, but I'm just saying that this has a... it's It's got a 48-volt uh, electrical system, so it can handle the plasma generator. I think it's, I think it's an idea whose time has come. Right. Do you have any questions about this thing or what? You were talking about something about a convertible? <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a convertible version of this car? That's what I drove, the convertible. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's totally what I was saying. Okay. And there's also these uh, forged composite carbon fiber um, pieces on the car. It looks like it looks like marble, um, but it's lightweight like carbon fiber. So that's pretty neat. Can you imagine? I, I'm a little <laughs> surprised Bugatti hasn't made a marble version of, the, of, of any of its supercars now. <laughs> Like it's like yeah, it adds six thousand pounds, but you're the only one. Actually, they did make a marble version. Of what? Just let me let me look this up. But I'm pretty sure Bugatti made something that had marble inlays. Okay, wicked. Uh, I think that would be worth it. Okay, um, mar. It's called. It was a Mansori version of the Viro. Oh jeez. <laughs> One point five million pounds, and the, it has the cost, or that's how much it weighed. <laughs> I okay. It was actually called the Viren Vivera Final Diamond Edition. Oh, that's um, great. That rolls right off the tongue. It came out in March, and it was at it was at the show in Geneva. Uh, it's actually carbon fiber. It just looks like it has a marble collage. I, but I'm sure they made a version that had this weird blue china or blue marble on it. Am I am I completely crazy? I don't know what you're talking about, but I don't know. The you're right. It sounds like a Gambala or a Mansory creation, right? Like it sounds like something that's too out there. Um, I was really impressed with this car. Again, same things with most um, supercars is that they don't have much space. I found that the frunk in the in the Performante was actually more usable than uh, the trunk in the NSX, and I loved it. I want one. If I could get one, I would. Maybe not the the heart. Maybe not the the sorry the drop top version of the car than the coupe. I think the coupe is probably the, the better bet. But I also know that there's people out there who just need a convertible. Well, we were uh, talking about that before the show. I have a friend yeah. who who essentially collects these types of cars, and he has every car he buys has to be a convertible. So he has right now he has a 488, and the top goes down. It just that's how it is. He he doesn't want the coupe versions. So the even it's not really about what's the fastest model because most people aren't going to be going to the Nurburgring and turning in those lap times. I think it's people it's personal style. Um, it's the experience. I mean, driving a car at 200 miles an hour with the top down is <laughs> completely different from being in a coupe. Right. So it's, it's, 
it's personal choice, and, and it makes sense for Lamborghini to serve that market as well. I mean, it, it, it's there's there's someone out there who's going to buy it, or they wouldn't mm-hmm. build it, right? Right. Um, I will also admit it is super cool to see the Performante, and then the next day, the at the Quail, Lamborghini unveiled a new um, Aventador. Possibly the last Aventador is the rumor going on around right now. Um, this is called the Lamborghini Aventador SVJ. Um, uh, those initials stand for something, I believe it's Super Veloce uh, Yota. And this is currently the fastest car around the Nürburgring. It does in 6 minutes and 44 seconds. It is $500,000 at the very least. And only 900 of them are being made. It you still uses a naturally aspirated V12 engine. It makes 770 horsepower. Um, a top speed of 217 miles per hour. It's insane. Do you think like do you think that it's don't you think it's kind of weird that Lamborghini is going after these these Nurburgring lap times? No, it doesn't. I mean, it's the way I look at Lamborg at, at Nurburgring lap times is it's just publicity. It's just cheap right. publicity. I mean, they they manage to do a lap time that's great. Every magazine in the world covers them. So instead of that's buying right. an ad in the magazine, they get to have the coverage for free. Mm-hmm. And there's no regulatory body that's overlooking any of anything that goes on in the track. You can just show that's up, right. run it, say this is your time, and it, there's and no go home. Yeah. There's no third party with a stopwatch making sure that happened. And I'm not saying Lamborghini's lying about their times, but what I am saying is it's not expensive to run laps at the Nürburgring. I also they don't have that to, there's not a whole regulatory body they have to deal with. I also understand that they use nearly like barely street legal tires. I think these are these P zero Trofeo R tires, which are like they're the stickiest things you can find. Oh yeah, I mean, in any evaluation of a lap time on any track, yeah. you have to consider the evolution of tire technology. I think we've talked about it in the past, and I'm not going to get too deep into it because Sammy gets really upset whenever I talk about alignment or tires. Yeah. So um, if if you look at say tire lap times from ten years ago, they're in no way comparable to lap times now. The tire technology has moved so far. If you were to take modern tires and put them on those older cars, you would probably be shocked by how much quicker those cars would be. That's that's an I think that's a really interesting concept and idea, and I would love to know what happens. But I also know that sometimes cars are built with the with the around the current tire technology that they have, so the suspension and stuff and the chassis have to accommodate whatever. Um, you know, limitations that the tires may have. Yeah, that's that's very true. But I think that in most cases, if you're talking about a very highly strung sports car, mm-hmm. you can adjust the car around that. It's, it's not like, I mean, if you look at something like the Viper ACR, the, mm-hmm. the current one, it's extremely adjustable suspension, aero, everything can be can be done however you want it to be for setting up for a particular track. So flash ahead 10 years from now, if you know the, the coefficient of friction or, or whatever data you have on the new tire that you're putting on you can work that into your car setup and and make it work for you right it's 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 not like you're going to put a tire from today on a 10 year old car and then hit the track and then the car is going to rip itself apart because there's so much traction (laughs) like in the first quarter it's just like the rear axle is (laughs) just gone no No, but i i it's funny because that could happen in in a drag in a drag race no it's if, if if you put super sticky tires on a car and then you take it to a drag strip and you use um, um, the, the the compound, that the glue that gets sprayed on yeah, the that, drag strip. NHRI compound or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and you, you hook up. If you really hook up, 
and the car was never built to hook up. The car was built knowing there would be some wheel spin or something. You could theoretically destroy the rear end of the car, and that, that's that will happen. It's it's just some cars will be too much wheel hop. Other cars they just the suspension mounting points aren't strong enough for for it to hook, uh, and you have to be careful of that kind of thing. So yeah, it is possible. I mean, if we were, if we were to put drag radials on like a, a car from the '90s and then give that car a lot of power, then yeah, the platform's probably not going to handle it. Back to the uh, Aventador SVJ. I wanted to also add, it has a similar technology as the Performante Spider with the um, the aerodynamics, with those flaps that can open and close. It can go from does it full have, depth. Does it have the plasma? No, it doesn't have the plasma. It doesn't have the <sighs> nuclear fission uh, hey, windbreaker. The fish, that that's just ridiculous, nuclear fission. <laughs> Are you serious? Come on, man. I was talking about something that I think could be real, a.k.a. Okay. plasma. And you're talking about something science fiction-y, a.k.a. nuclear whatever. It can go from full downforce to no downforce or limited downforce in just uh, 500 milliseconds. Which is, kind is of there dead. a button where you can just go no downforce <laughs> yeah. at any time? Just like fly away. Like, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> remember those 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 CLKs that uh, Mercedes Benz was racing, yeah. where they just lose downforce on that certain part of the track. Like it, I imagine it would be something like that, where like you push the button and the front of the car just lifts. It could be useful in a police chase, you know, where you just want to disappear. And they're like, oh, where'd the car go? And it's, you're behind them. And, and you're rolling the dice because maybe you land on your wheels, maybe you don't. Right, right. Um, I do think it's kind of cool because the car um, at $500,000 wasn't the most expensive car at um, the Pebble Beach that was revealed this, this week. Instead, that goes to the new Bugatti Devo, which is um, a super <laughs> – what? You know, it's just hilarious. It is a very well. It's not named after the band. It's named after one of their, uh, one of their, I think their test drivers back in the day. What about the Alfa Romeo B52s? Is that, uh, <laughs> was that there too? Is that going to be a little less expensive? <laughs> I think so. Anyway, funkier. Evo, um, it has a ton of downforce. You want to talk about downforce, man? This thing not has really, but okay. On wings, wings upon wings. And it's funny, you, should, you know, I saw a picture of a Cezeta V16T today, okay. uh, the car that Giorgio Moroder sort of designed, but not really. Um, and it's it's the car that has those quad headlights in the front, but they're, like, stacked. So there's a headlight that pops up in the front, and oh, then behind yeah, that yeah, headlight, yeah. there's another yeah, headlight that pops up. Yeah. So when you say wings on wings, that's what I imagine. I imagine there's, like, a wing, and then there's another wing behind it, and then maybe even a baby wing on the roof. Oh, so this car has uh, no storage. It reduced. Uh, they took out all of the sound insulation. They changed the ra- uh, the radio into a lightweight radio, which I didn't. What does that even mean? Why aren't they all lightweight radios? <laughs> I don't know. It was like, well, we got us. We have so much lead. We just need to use. <laughs> I love this idea of a lightweight radio. They're like, hmm. Do you it think, gets, do you it, think it, the it, owner of a Bugatti? You think of the owner of a Bugatti Ver, uh, Chiron was like, I definitely need all ten of these CDs in my car at all times. You need I, to see ten <laughs> CDs player in the car. I, I think that I think a light rate radio only gets talk. <laughs> it only gets talk stations. It's an no AM bass only. No bass. It's you know what they managed to do? They made it eighty pounds less. How much is that? This is a a, a, a Chiron. Yeah, eighty pounds. That's not How much, is it? No, not really. I mean, we'll talk about that with a, a little later in the podcast about weight reduction um, okay. because it's a similar kind of situation. When the car weighs 4,400 pounds, 80 pounds is, is not – I think it's like, what, 2%? <laughs> not yeah. even 2%? Something great. Let's find out. Let's do some math. But um, I'm sure it's insignificant. They've also – you'll it's love point, it. It's, it's, point, it's, it's 1% oh. of the weight of the car. 
They've also, you're going to love this. You absolutely love this. And if you don't get excited about this, they've increased the camber. Um, camber. The camber. What did I say? <sighs> camber. Oh, my bad. I know. I just had to correct you because you were making fun of my plasma wing. <laughs> it made me so upset. <laughs> okay. They've increased the camber, and uh, that brings the top speed down to 236 miles per hour, which is a huge shame. But now it can generate 1.6 Gs of lateral acceleration. Pretty okay. cool, right? I guess. <laughs> Look, in order for you to get to, to love this car, I should probably tell you how much it costs. It's finally a car that you can spend your net worth on. Five million euros, and there's only 40 of them. They've all been sold, so you can't even buy one yet. Five yeah. million euros. Well, you know what they say, you can you can drive your car, but you can you can you can <laughs> sleep in your car, but you can't drive your house. I guess. I mean House isn't even five million euros. We need to find. Well, Maybe I guess your I house isn't. Oh right, that's a pretty wild uh, reveal. And my favorite part about it is that it looked. Um, I thought it was just going to be a Chiron with a wing, and it actually had much more going on than just that. It actually looks like a a real life interpretation of those Vision Gran Turismo concepts. And I think Bugatti did a really cool thing there. But five cool. million euros is just a bit much. What else do you well, want to you know. talk about? What else do you want to talk about from Pebble Beach? That was those are some of my highlights. There are a couple of concept cars that showed up. A new Infinity prototype that I wasn't. Uh, it was called Prototype Ten. It was meant to be a successor to the Prototype Nine that showed up last year, which, was, if you remember, is an open wheel, um, 1930s inspired race car. Yeah, and I saw pictures of that, and it looked actually really cool. The new one? I don't like the new one. The old one no? looked much better. Um, I like them both. Okay. Well, they were talking about how that's going to be. Um, their direction, their styling direction going forward, and how in 2021 all of their cars are going to be electrified in some way, just like this concept. Um, there was also, can you imagine, of all of the years of Pebble Beach and Audi attending it, they have never shown off a design concept until this year. And they showed off what was known as the PB18 e-tron concept. And a lot of people have painted this as uh, the next R8, the next generation R8, and it was an all-electric vehicle that made somewhere north of 600 horsepower, was stupidly fast, um, and it had a steer and throttle-by-wire system, and that meant that the driver's seat could be shifted into the middle of the cockpit. Oh, yeah, I, I did <laughs> see an image of that. I think that's cool. I mean, you know what? As much as I like to, you know, mock weird features... <laughs> When it's a concept car, why not put that in there? Because people are going to talk about it, and if, if it's never going to make it to production. Right. So just put it in. And I thought that was kind of neat. It's an extremely – I mean, I don't know how much of this is coming into a modern vehicle, but I imagine they're, they're hoping to make an all-electric supercar. And they say with the an 800-watt charging system, this is the same charging system that will be put in use by the Porsche Taycan, which was formerly known as the Mission E. Um, they'll be able to charge that up in, in – about 15 minutes, fully fully charged in 15 minutes, and can achieve a mile, some like 300 odd miles of range, which is pretty impressive. So I think that could be, maybe they could make. I could feasibly see something like that existing in the real world, um, in that sense. Well, I I, I want to shift gears a little bit and move away from um, the West Coast and head to the Far East Coast, which is where I spent my time last week, where I went to Newfoundland, which is Canada's most remote province. Uh, it's an island that's pretty far from everyone else in Canada. And I got to drive the new 2019 GMC Sierra Denali. Wicked. Can I tell you, I love Newfoundland. Newfoundland, in case um, people uh, haven't heard, is essentially North America's Ireland. It is exactly like, it, it reminds me of Ireland in so many ways, from the from the music and the people that you talk to, uh, even their accents. 
and uh, the scenery is beautiful all the time. Yeah. My 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 grandmother's from Ireland, uh, from from well from Newfoundland mm-hmm. uh, of Irish descent and actually she lives there now so I I've, I've had the chance to spend a decent amount of time there and it's a very nice place um it's it's an interesting place to drive the Sierra I, I partly chosen because Canada's exchange rate is really really poor right now which means it's affordable for GMC to do a program there but also because the Sierra outsells the Silverado in Canada. And oh. that's, a, yeah, sometimes by a sizable amount, depending on the year. And it, it does particularly well in Newfoundland. So uh, it was kind of a natural choice for them to, to unveil the vehicle there. And I know a, a few weeks ago, both of us, we've driven the the last year's Sierra Denali, yeah. the 2018 model. And we did not have nice things to say about it because of how um, poorly it's aged in terms of providing luxury. Because the whole idea with the Denali brand is that it's the most luxurious version of whatever GMC you're driving. Yeah. And GMC does super well with Denali. They sell a lot, a lot, a lot of these vehicles. Um, not just Sierras, but, I mean, Equinoxes and all that stuff. It's it's Denali is a huge moneymaker for them. Mm-hmm. So I was really excited about the 2019 Sierra because, in my mind, there were a bunch of things that they had to get right with this vehicle to catch up to vehicles like the Ram 1500 Limited, mm-hmm. which we've talked about recently, which yeah. is pretty badass it's great Um, it's a fantastic especially if you're looking for a premium truck or a luxury oriented truck the ram can't be beat it's so good so and the the ford f-150 limited is pretty good as well Mm -hmm. and uh i have to say that gmc did not live up to my expectations in any single area okay that is painful to hear i want to ask because my experience with the denali it had that great 6.2 liter v8 and then nothing else. The interior well, if, was was really was really nothing worth talking about. I had features that were missing. I didn't have trailer brake control on the top end vehicle that that GMC no, makes. That no keyless make entry. Yeah. No keyless entry. No no push button start. Um, well, you'll be happy to know that the engines continue unchanged. You still get the 5.3 as the base engine. Why? And the, 6 point, the 6.2 is available, although it comes with the 10-speed now, the one that was available in the, the Yukon and the Cadillac Escalade and whatnot. And that's a great transmission and engine combo. I totally agree with you. Truck's got a lot of it's 420 horsepower and 460 pound-feet of torque. No, you're it's, missing the problem. They still sell it with the 5.3, and it doesn't need to be there. The 5.3 is, no. is so sad in comparison to the 6.2. And, they're going to sell it with the three-liter turbo diesel when that comes out. The the V6 that is not available yet. Alley with that? Yes, and um, I did not have the chance to drive it, so That's I weird. cannot I cannot comment. Um, but anyway, moving on, they have added things like push button start. That's there now. Oh, but way to go! Thanks. Everything else in the interior is almost the same as what you had the year before. It's it's black. It's gray. There's almost no detail. There's lots of plastic. There's some leather. The only real splash of color in the in the interiors that I saw is they have these nice wood inlays on the door poles, and that's pretty much it. So you get into this truck and you compare it to like a Ram Limited, which yeah. has fantastic leather detailing throughout leather the and interior. Wood. Those they have like branded wood too, which is so yeah, cool. There's something for your eye to look at. <laughs> It's 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 engaging. And, but in and terms this... of feature, they added something that you can get in a Sentra, like a base <laughs> Nissan Sentra. Yeah, it's it's not push button start. That's so ridiculous. You also another feature. I mean, they have a new infotainment system. It compared to again the Ram's huge infotainment system, which I think is 12 inches. This one's only eight. It's okay. It's functional, but it, it doesn't really blow you away. It doesn't make you feel like you paid fifty eight thousand dollars for the truck, uh, um, which oh, is four thousand so dollars. 
$4,000 more than you would pay for a comparable RAM. Oh, and uh, about the same as you pay for an F-150 Limited. Okay, okay. Well, then you got to stop. Just give me a second here. Let me process all of this. This Denali version of the Sierra, the interior is not gorgeous. The powertrain is more or less the same as it used to be. Um, oh, no fuel mileage increase to go with those extra two gears in the transmission what? either. on earth? Okay, so then at least I know when I, when I get the Ram, it's got that um, wicked air suspension. When I go to the Ford F-150s, it's got so much usability in terms of it has these wicked sidesteps that you can use, like this uh, that drop-down tailgate and the sidesteps on the side of the bed. It's also got twin-turbo V6 engines, which are super fuel-efficient. What is the shtick in the Sierra Denali? Okay, there's nothing – I'm going to be blunt. There's nothing about the Sierra Denali that makes it special as what? a luxury truck, period. As a luxury it does, truck, but what about it – yeah. It does have some shtick, though, that I feel <laughs> is completely a marketing exercise that uh, is really something they're going to push, but I don't think it's going to make a big difference for buyers in general. So okay. one last thing while I'm talking about the interior. They have made it an inch bigger. The the I believe the, the wheelbase – it's between one and three inches more rear space for passengers. I can't remember. I think it's three. It feels pretty big. That's cool. Uh, the Ram felt huge. The Ford yeah. felt huge. So they needed to do that. You can, it also live, comes you with, can like actually live in a Ram 1500. It's huge. It, it also comes with a giant head-up display. Well, I mean, nice. like the size of your face. Okay. Uh, it's pretty... re- and and you you can get like stuff like the the angle of attack and my the, face. Yes, your also, face. Also, angle of attack. What? You know, like when you're off-roading and like the angle of the truck, like lateral, horizontal, it, it'll display that so you can tell how many degrees off of uh, level you are. Approach angles and stuff. Yeah, and it has a pretty cool camera system that lets you – you can actually cycle through many different views while you're on the trail to figure out you know, what's directly in front of the vehicle, if the nose is pointed in the air, that kind of thing. Okay. So that's useful. But again, Do none of these are – Hold ga- up. Do I need a camera to tell me if the nose is pointed up in the air? No. When your nose is pointed up oh, in the gotcha. air and you want to yeah. see directly in front of the vehicle, you that. can do that. Exactly. You're right. I love that. Um, Actually, I love that a lot. And I said that Subaru should have something like this, and they finally added that. Cool. Um, thankfully, there's no camera watching the driver that I'm aware of, <laughs> uh, plotting my demise. But it does also comes with a cool trailering app that will let you test um, – all the lights on the trailer individually if you want to. It's, stuff like that is cool. But again, none of these are really killer apps. That's handy it's, for, it's a, for truck buyers. Yeah, that should be in every truck. Yeah. It's not It's not in your you know $60,000 luxury truck. Mm-hmm. So here's here's the, the shtick that the truck comes with. It's got this six-part tailgate, the six-function tailgate. I think they're calling it, I can't remember, something multi-pro, I think. Multi-pro tailgate, does that sound right? Okay, no, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... It's a tailgate that unfolds, and then it unfolds again, and then it unfolds again. So you can have a step, you can have a bench, and you can have a bed extender that pops up kind of like a little wing. It's not made of plasma, but it, it pops up on the on the tailgate. So if you have a long load, it will keep that in place. It also has a weird kind of like um, slot machine one-arm bandit handle on the inside of the bed that huh? pops out. And then you use that to walk up inside. Okay. It is fussy. It is very fussy. It's, it's different so than the Ford one? It's different than the Ford one? Oh, yeah. It does six different things. It, <laughs> it folds and unfolds and it folds again. It does a whole bunch of stuff. Okay. I cannot see this tailgate lasting in a winter environment where it's going to be exposed to salt. Mm-hmm. I think the mechanism is – it's made of aluminum, but, I mean, not everything in it's made of aluminum. The hinges and everything. It's, it's going to get gunked up and grimed up if you use it while you're working. And it's eventually going to stop working. It's also pretty heavy. Like, I had trouble lifting it up. You don't get a power tail. It's not a power tailgate. Like, the um, the the when it unfolds itself, that part is is powered. 
But the actual tailgate going up and down, I think you can get that as an option if you don't get the multi-pro. Like, if you get the Silverado, you can get a power tailgate, but not with this multi-pro six-form tailgate thing. So you have to lift this much heavier tailgate every time you're, you're putting it back in its place, and it's annoying. And the other shtick that it comes with is you can get a carbon fiber box with the truck. Okay. There's no need for that. It's it's going to be thousands of dollars. They didn't have a price for me. It's going to be thousands of dollars. It saves, like, I think 80 pounds. And again, on a vehicle that weighs, you know, between 44 and 5,000 pounds, that's really not that much. Mm-hmm. And sure, it's really strong and stuff, but it's kind of a gimmick. And I think both of these things mm-hmm. are gimmicks. And I really wish they would have directed the engineering towards uh, improving the truck in some meaningful way. It's basically the same truck, and it's a good truck. It's just not a good luxury truck. It's not. It doesn't impress me. I, I would not think that I'd spent the amount of money I'd spent riding around in this Denali. Okay, so I'm looking at this handle. It is super bizarre looking. It just like sticks out of the out of the truck bed like this, um, and it like it can like fold into place over there when you're not when it's not in use. Yeah, it folds okay. up in the side. Again, that how long do you think that's going to last I don't know. in a salty It doesn't look that robust or anything. Um, and a carbon fiber tail, I mean, a carbon fiber, carbon fiber bed sounds like something that could help save a lot of weight and that could probably improve fuel efficiency. But it only same, saves 80 pounds. It only saves 80 pounds. Oh. Well, I mean, a bed yeah. is a major part of a truck. It looks like half, I mean, it physically, it looks like half the truck. Um, yeah, but it's also just open space, yeah. right? So, I mean, can this thing also, what is the durability of a carbon fiber truck bed? Can that handle the sort of, like, rigors of a of a pickup truck owner, do you think? Like, if they're throwing stuff in there? I mean, they... Yeah, I don't, car- I don't think you're going to break it. It's, it's also unfinished carbon fiber. It's something to point out. It's not, you're not going to see, like, a glossy weave like you would on, on, on a Bugatti or something okay. like that. And you don't, you don't need that. Uh, but uh, it's not... It's a gimmick. I mean, who's that? Who walks into a dealership and says, "I want a carbon fiber bed, and I want to pay a lot of money for it"? Yeah, I don't know, man. This is really—it's not sounding too positive for the GMC Sierra, especially when you're paying so much money for a car that's supposed to be the top of the line, and when it can't compete with the other cars top of the line and barely seems like a step forward. That's a tough—that's a tough way to 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 advertise yourself to the to the world, right? What, who is this, this truck for? This truck is ostensibly for people who need a working truck but want to be pampered. And I think that if that's you, you need to look elsewhere. And it's a really harsh thing to say, uh, but I think GMC has really kind of let the Denali brand just dilute itself. You can get Denali versions of almost every vehicle they make now, as I pointed out earlier. Right. And the idea that there's a Denali version of the Sierra and there's a Denali version of the of the Terrain mm-hmm. that, and, and that they're somehow the same vehicle... Um, it, that's that's a weird, tenuous proposition to make. I mean, I don't. I want the Sierra to be something special. I want it to be. It, there's no reason why it couldn't be as great as the main competitors it has. But I mean, why would you pay so much money for the Sierra for this for the Denali over a regular Sierra or over a Silverado? It, there's no clear reason. Right. Okay. It, it, this tailgate certainly isn't that clear reason. It it just seems like a bit much that tailgate. I don't know if that's really that. That's not a. It, it seems like a gimmick, not something that would be put to use in a in a reasonable way. I don't know. I'm not into this. I'm looking at it more and more, and I'm trying to figure it out. Um, and I think the Ford F-150 application is really solid, and I think 
that the the fifty the fifteen the Ram fifteen hundred with its air suspension is a little bit better too. So I don't know. It's way better. I mean this this has the magnetic ride, which is great. Oh yeah, that's but pretty, that's I kind pretty of, good. I kind of feel like it's tuned better in the Yukon, to be honest. Weird. Okay. Yeah, it has a it has a sport um, mode now. This is kind of weird. Okay. There's a sport there's a sport mode for the truck, but you access it via an unlabeled dial on the top left of the instrument panel beside the gauge cluster. It, it doesn't have anything on it. Yeah. Just so, a random I mean, dial that can't be true. Yeah. It it is a random dial. I have pictures to prove it, okay. but uh, it's it's. It's just not a very well-executed interior. I want a great cabin. Yeah. I want a really solid cabin for $60,000. I mean, I mean, you, you can... want a great cabin. To me, I want a truck that can that is that has a tech advantage over something else when uh, 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 over everything else when it comes to that much money too. So I I don't think this truck has either of those two things. No, definitely not. Okay, cool. Um, you had one more story, and I'm trying to figure this out. It was a news story about Volkswagen in Mexico. Yeah. So this is awesome. So basically, um, Volkswagen's taken a lot of heat over the last few years for their yeah. kind of Machiavellian approach to environmental standards. Yeah, they they but... were saying that due to the their their cheat device on their diesel vehicles, they were ruining the environment and messing with the the greenhouse gases and potentially our our, our climate our climate but, situations. Now they are to... literally changing the weather. Well, things have taken a more James Bondian turn for Volkswagen in Mexico, where they've been accused of ruining crops in the area of one of its factories because they've been using um, cannons, hail cannons, to destroy clouds that could create hail and damage vehicles that are parked and waiting for shipment. Okay. They're sonic boom cannons <laughs> that are fired into the air to prevent the formation of hail. This is this is a that real is story. A I'm real on CNN period. right now, yes. and I'm looking. They're weather weather control hail cannons. Now, this is the best part. Mm-hmm. Volkswagen had to release a public statement about this, saying they would promise to not stop what they were doing, <laughs> controlling the weather, but reduce the use of the canyon cannons at its factory in Puebla. Here's the, the exact quote. Volkswagen has stopped using these devices in their automatic mode and is only operating them manually. <laughs> no, no, when there's the a meter- better part. There's a, a better spokesperson said, even though there is no evidence that the use of these devices causes a lack of rain, we'll modify our operations in order to maintain <laughs> a harmonious relationship with our neighbors. Well, so, and, and modify our modify their operation is we're just going to do it when we want to do it instead of doing it all the time. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> now, in order to prevent the hail, they're going to install anti-hail nets, which I assume are just nets, right? Like, yeah, it's not like it's not like yeah, they're just nets. But it said <laughs> we will continue to use the cannons if needed. So basically, Volkswagen's got a lot of pull in Mexico, and they can do whatever they want, including controlling the weather. But uh, it's saying that the cannons are damaging crops. Yeah, because so, if they're potentially um, redirecting uh, precipitation, that means that there's probably areas of, of Mexico that where they are in, in Puebla um, that aren't getting any any rain. So that can be a serious they, problem. They contacted – so the, the cannons are made in New Zealand, and they contacted the company that makes them, the guy who owns them. And he said, in reality, the technology isn't about rain. It's about hail, and there's a difference, a substantial difference. And then so, he didn't – he didn't. <laughs> yeah, there's no explanation of what that difference is. 
Uh, he says the cannons have been used for decades, usually to protect crops from hail. I like in that. this Most case, often to protect crops, but nothing else. Yeah, won't but this is. It. I mean, I can't think of another car company that's you know actively controlling the weather. I want to know <laughs> if that's the case. I didn't realize that rain that hail is such a serious issue near near the location of this factory. Well, you'd think they'd look into that before they built the factory, or is this another case of climate climate change? And, and you know, Volkswagen is on both sides of the climate change thing now. <laughs> They're creating the climate change, and then they're they're fighting the effects of it. Yeah. Um, I would love to. I bet you a lot of other automakers should be investigated for something like this. Maybe it's something we've never known. What are you suspicious of? Car companies like they, like there's a big me- like it's a James Bond spectrum yeah. meeting where they're all sitting around being like, "Have you input the weather control codes for the satellite system for northern Germany?" And then like there's like a cackle of laughter. Yeah, that's exactly what I think is happening. I mean. It can't be I, – I mean, I don't want to accuse Volkswagen of being um, non, non-innovative like, here, but this seems a seems bit like much. What you're doing. This seems a bit over the top, and they have to have seen somebody else do this and been like, yeah, that's how everyone does it. So, <laughs> I think it's the case where they got a good deal on some weather cannons, and if you had so honestly, if I had weather hail cannons, I would use them nonstop. Yeah, that in, automatic the, setting. in the automatic mode, yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, how does it work? Does it detect the presence of clouds? Does it detect, like, a, a change in, in barometric pressure? Or does it just go off every hour with a sonic... How loud are these cannons? Like, <laughs> I have to do oh, some man. research on this. We need to, uh, If you know how this, how these sonic cannons work, like, a legitimate... If you work thing... at a... Yeah, if you work at Volkswagen <laughs> or a cannon company, we'd love to hear from you. And, in fact, we'd love to hear from you about almost anything you'd want to talk to us about, especially if it's about cars, because that's generally what we talk about. And alignment Since... and tires. Ben loves that. So, if you wanted to um, get in touch with us about weather-changing cannons, how would you do that, Sammy? I would recommend reaching out to either one of us on social media. You can find me on Twitter, where I don't mind the constant hate and uh, complain, complaints of everybody. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And Ben, he prefers Instagram, where everyone showcases their perfectly curated life. Uh, he's at Hunting Benjamin. I'm also on Instagram, but I'm not doing so much over there. I'm usually just complaining about the spelling of my name. Um, you can also uh, email me at Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com, or you can go to UnnamedAutomotivePodcast.com, which has a contact form you can fill out. You can go to our Facebook page, Unnamed Automotive Podcast on Facebook, and contact us there. Or you can uh, go to any almost any podcast application you might use, whether you're using iTunes, Google Play Music, um, Spotify, Castbox. What's the What's the one that you like, Sammy? The one with the funny name? Uh, Pocket Cast. Pocket Cast. Hey, hello. Pocket, Pocket Cast. Cast in the house. You can use Pocket Cast, and you can subscribe to us. You can give us feedback, which is always helpful. If you just want to give us a rating on iTunes, mm-hmm. that really helps us get uh, in front of more people, in, in front of a wider audience, and we'd appreciate it. So, so Sam, what, what are we talking about next week? Well, I'm I'm going to talk about the BMW M5. That's what I've been driving. Uh, I'll be driving next week. What about you? What have you? You've gotten a, a bunch of cars, actually. I got a bunch of cars. I haven't decided which ones we're going to talk about yet specifically, but I would like to talk about the Cadillac CTS-V, which I drove recently, nice. which might be the the final V uh, for the CTS. And, and that compares driving... nicely to the car that I'm driving, so we'll, we can share our notes there. Yes, definitely. And when we say next week, we mean actually later this week, That's because right. we, know this, we know this podcast was late, and we're not skipping a week. We are just going to keep forging on, and you'll have something on the regular time as usual. And so thanks again for listening, everybody. Absolutely. Thank you, and talk to you later this week.